0: Well, good morning. My name is David Carreño. You can call me David because it sounds cooler. I say it every time. <laughs> uh, by the way, I need to do a shout out for Ian. That's, that was amazing. I loved it. Um, and a shout out for Nicole about the bar thing. There's a joke there, but I'm not going to do that. But, um, but yeah, I'm so excited to uh, have the opportunity to share God's word with you today. And we're going to be uh, in Exodus 14 today if you have your Bible I encourage you to take it out and go to Exodus 14 you can put it in your phone um, we're going to go through it together and while you guys go there uh, I want to do a little introduction of, of where we're standing in the book of Exodus but a little summary of where we have been here at, at New Hope teaching wise and preaching wise a couple of Sundays ago um, Pastor Dave talked about well how do we measure success as christians and he said that it's not by the amount or the quality or anything like that not the prosperity like like ian was saying it's about obedience that's how we measure success and then in, in that that was a very practical good message for us and then the week after that that was last week he, he talked about a, what, a, what a beautiful thing that we talk about obedience. And we have uh, our, our brother Sean taking a step of obedience and, and baptizing and, and saying, proclaiming to everybody that he loves Jesus, that he is giving his life to him. So it's been really good. And today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep that same. Practical, So I want you to really engage into what we're going to be. We're going to be going through Exodus, and in a second I'll give a little um, context. But what I want us to see, what I want you to see, is that I'm going to be presenting some things from the text of an attribute of God, one of them or several of them. And as I do that, I'm going to show you how people responded. So I want you to really engage. And when you, you hear me say something about God, according to what the text say, and I say something about the people, how they responded, I want you to be thinking the same way. How? According to this attribute of who God is, His nature, how should I be responding? So I want to make it very practical as we've been doing in the past couple of Sundays. So where we are in Exodus, Exodus 14, I'll do a little backtrack. Um, I'll try to summarize it the best I can. I don't want to chop it off, but because of time, I can't do the full thing. And, you know, my seminary brain, I want to just do a class here. That's all I want to do. Sorry about that. But, um, you know, creation. God creates. Uh, Sin. There's the fall. Humans are separated from God. But God wanted his people to be back to him. So he chose a man, uh, uh, Abraham. His people, because he wanted to show to the world. It wasn't just for Abraham or the people of Israel. It was he wanted to show to everybody else that he is the one true God. So he chooses this man. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. One of them is Joseph. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. So then the 11 brothers sold Joseph, their brother, into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, a far land from where they were. They were up there in Canaan. He comes all the way up here to Egypt as a slave. But God in his providence, he puts him as the second man in command. So it's Pharaoh and then Joseph. And throughout a crazy turn of events, he's able to reunite with his family. He brings all his family by this point, the the, the Israelites, because Jacob's name was changed to Israel is all it's like around 70 people you know Jacob had and then the sons had sons and daughters so uh, a, a small exodus from Canaan comes to Egypt and they in Pharaoh it's it, it you know he tells them take this land this is for you because of Joseph and they live wonderful lives and they start multiplying they have a lot of cattle and but then there's there's a there's a turn. Once Joseph passed and Pharaohs dies, then the new Pharaoh comes along and says, who are these people that don't look like us, that are not Egyptians, and they're actually more numerous than us. Let's subdue them. Let's oppress them. They're, they're going to overtake us if we don't do something about it. And for 430 years, they're slaves in the land of Egypt. And in these 430 years, the people of God start crying out to the Lord, saying, deliver us. Lord, please hear our prayer. And that's exactly what God does. He takes this man from among them, name is Moses. Most of you have heard from him. And he brings him in incredible ways. And he goes and and confronts Pharaoh and tells him, let my people go. My God says to let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is this God you're talking about? But then he says, he will show you the wonders and he will show you that he is the one true God. And through the ten plagues, you probably heard from them, different ones, Pharaoh finds out that he is actually confronting the one true God. And, and he decides to let the people go. He says, okay, I had enough. I know he's the one true God. Take your people. Get away from here. And this is where we find ourselves. This is the third day from the moment. Just to give you an idea, they came in 430 years ago with 70 people. By that moment, we're talking about 600,000 people to more. You know, men, women, children, cattle, insanity. Huge exodus. And we're on the third day. So as we're gonna jump in, I want us to really see where we're at. Kind of like imagine that you're one of them, that you're walking alongside one another very slowly with children, with cattle. And let's hear what happens here on Exodus 14. Here we go. I'm going to break it into three parts. The first one is God is sovereign. That's going to be from verses 1 through 4. The second one is God is the one true God, verses 5 through 14. And the last one is God is just, from verses 15 through 31. We're going to go into Exodus 14, verse 1. Read with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihachiroth, between Migdol and the sea. In front of Baal Siphon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, And the Egyptians should know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So I'm going to do a little, you know, I got to geek out, a little bit of uh, a teaching. We're going to go, if you can put the the map on top there. What we're going to do is I want us to see geographically a little bit where we're at. Because if we read and we say, oh, between Pihahiroth, Migdol, Baal we don't know where we're at. But I, I want us to do this, a little bit of this exodus together. So, um, just so you know, right here, all of this is modern day Egypt. Israel is right here on the coast. So I wanted to see, like, so you guys understand where we're at in the world. And then we're going to focus on this area right here. So you can go to the next slide. And right here, this is where we're at. This is Egypt. We have Ramesses, which is the, the, the city where all of the Egyptians, all, all of the Israelites were. And these are, there's three different routes. I'll explain that later. But what I want us to see is um, what happened. On, verse, on, on chapter 13, God takes them from Ramesses east and then go, like, and they stop around here. So God, st- God tells them, okay, you have to go here. Follow my voice. He tells Moses, but not only that, he puts in front of them a pillar of cloud that during the day it looked like, like a light and at night it looked like fire. So he literally was guided that he was before them. So he tells them, go from Ramesses and camp right here. They go one day, travel, they stop, they camp. Second day, he tells them, okay, now we're going to go southeast and I want you to stop. Again, the pillar of, of cloud moves. They go, they follow the, the, the Word of God, and they encamp again. And then here, there's going to be a turn of events. But what I want us to see is, um, actually, can you go to the slide before? This is the promised land right here. Jericho's right here. This is where, they, where God promised that they will take them. That's their goal. And they're coming from here. The best route is the, the, the route of the coast, which is called La Via Mare. The, the the way of the sea, but God takes them east and down. It's like, okay, we have to go here. This is the easiest way to go. But God tells them, no, 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 take a right here, and then camp here and wait. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, they're just obeying. Uh, you can go to the next slide, and they go again, and they go. Now they're going away from it a little bit. Like, oh, okay, where are we going? And then. Here, says, tell the people of Israel to turn back. Oh, okay, now it's getting confusing. Now, they go right, they go left and down, and now he tells them to turn back. And so, from the, from the outside, you might see this group of people, uh, you know, this is a silly illustration. It looks like sometimes we're at my house and I want to go to the kitchen and I need to do something in the bedroom. And so, I'm literally like... And I don't do anything. I just back and forward. That's how it looked like the Israelites were doing. They looked lost without direction. But that's not the truth. That's exactly where God wanted them. And eventually he puts them in a place. So there's three locations that are possible. We don't know where, uh, exactly where Migdol, Baal Sefon, Pihahiroth is. We have some theory. But this is not a geography class. I wish it was though. Um, <laughs> he puts them in. A body of water. He puts them in a corner. On one side, there's a wilderness. They can go through there. On, the, on their back, there's sea. Just to, you know, sometimes we think it was the Red Sea. It could be the Red Sea, but it could be, they will call lakes, the, the word for lake, it's sea. So it, it all travels. It, it, this is not like, what? They, they told me a lie. No, it could have been the Red Sea, but just for the purpose of what we understand, either the here, here, or here, I want us to see where God put them. He made them turn back. He put them in a corner where they couldn't move. The only way out was the way they went in. And we're going to see in, a little, in, in the next verses that that way is going to be blocked too. But God tells them, go there and encamp. That means pull all your stuff down, put your tent down, relax, make the soup, take care of the children, chill. And I... I it was very interesting for me to see It's like what's God doing like he it looks like he's stalling them right here was the the kind of like the French of Egypt and right here is kind of like they're still staying in the domain of the Egyptians it was a huge power back then probably one of the biggest powers they had control over the border Every step that they make inside of this territory, they knew what was happening. Pharaoh knew where they were. It looked like God was telling them, come here, come down a little, come up, and I'm going to put you in a corner. Oh, they looked trapped. But it's not a coincidence. God says it right before we're going to see what happens. It says, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And then, verse 4 And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And all the Egyptians should know that I am the Lord. This is exactly the will of God. God is in control, God is sovereign. That's the first point. The sovereignty of God. Over something so big as a group of people, sometimes it's it's hard to understand how can God have this kind of capacity. But that is the God that the, the Bible portrays and shows. This is one of His attributes. He is in control of over everything. Uh, a, a, a pin drops to the floor, not a coincidence. God is sovereign over that. He will do His will. His will will come. The problem is that for us as Christians, sometimes we don't have the markers. We don't know exactly what God is doing. We might say, well, in the path that I'm in right now, it looks like I'm lost. It looks like I'm going two steps forward, one backwards, one to the right, one to the left. And it can feel like we're lost. But the reality is that God is absolutely in control. There's never a time where he's not. There's no surprises for him. So, I, you know, I want us, like I told you, we see this amazing attribute of God that he's in control over everything. And not just of your situation or of the earth, but the entire universe. And this God, is. this is the God that we serve. And this is the God that is Guiding us in our path, in our route. Same way as the Israelites were going. It, it didn't look great. It looked they were trapped. Everything had a purpose. And I want us to see that big part. In our lives, ultimately the biggest purpose is what it says here. That God will receive the glory he deserves. And, and, and we're going to continue to see how He he's not just... You know, sometimes we think of God in the Old Testament as this mean God, as this old man, is grumpy, he's tired. No. What we're going to see is a God that very much cares and very much guides and is very much in control. Let's move on to the second point, which is God is the one true God. By the way, uh, the verses are going to be on the screen so you can follow along there too. Verses 5 through 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the man, the mind of Pharaoh and his service was changed toward the people, and they said, "What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us?" So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and encamped at the sea by Bihachiroth in front of Baal-zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today. You shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. What an amazing story. This is probably what we're going to see in the next verses. Probably one of the biggest acts of deliverance in the entire Old Testament. Where we see the power of God displayed. And again. We're, we're going to see here. Why God. Why God is the one true God. Why can he make that claim and be true? And the way I want us to see that is from three different perspectives. The first perspective I want us to see these three, three groups, or well, two groups and a person. The first group is the Egyptians. They have a perspective of who God is. They believe, which, let's backtrack a little, the ten plagues. The Egyptians and Pharaoh understood that God was powerful, and they feared God and that's why they let the people go so uh, this is the third day after that happened and Pharaoh is like no I, I I think I can do it now yeah like you know what yeah yeah." he started getting all riled up and uh, it, it just I scratch my head I'm like this guy you know like it, it's so easy to say this guy you know we'll talk later how I relate to that but the point I'm trying to make is their perspective on God we need to have a little context. How did the Egyptians think or thought of their gods? They have not one god. They have many gods. Lowercase g gods. And those gods, they were arbitrary. One day I feel this way and you have to do this sacrifice to satisfy my cravings. Next day, eh, I want something different. They were used to that. So, oh, Ras has to sacrifice and do this. But then the next day it changes. That's probably... This is, this is where I'm coming from, the context that I see. He said, oh, look, I think their God abandoned them. They're, in the, they're trapped, and they don't know it, and they look lost. Look, they've gone there. they come down here when they could have just gone up there. Oh, they don't know what they're doing. They're, God left them. Yes, this is the opportunity. But you see, this comes from the wrong perspective of understanding who God is. That he's not just a God. That he's not just a, an idol, a statue, or something to have a concept of. This is the one true God. So they were wrong in their perspective. But in, in, in that perspective that they had, how was, how was their, their, their feeling? They're relying on their own strength and understanding. Their pride and ego get the best of them. And they pursue the wrong route. And now, let's move on to the Israelites' perspective. I'm going to go through each perspective, and at the end I'm going to ask you a question, so track along with me. The Israelites' perspective, the people have been enslaved for 430 years, but they've been telling the stories of Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They know what God has done for them, that He has chosen them, that He has promised the land for them. It might have looked different being a slave for 430 years, oppressed. But they cry out to him, Lord, deliver us. For 430 years praying. And then among them, he brings surely the answer through Moses. And then so they received Moses, not in the best terms first, but they kind of trust him. But then God starts making them see the wonders because the wonders, the plagues that God sent, was as much against the Egyptians as. For the Israelites I will send hail and all of your cattle and all of your things will be destroyed but look at the, the, the camp of the Israelites it's not touch oh whoa there's darkness hovering all over the land of Egypt except the land where the Israelites so the Israelites were like oh shoot I, I think this is it this, this, is, this is him answering and by the end they found out oh, yes this is God okay let's pack up let's move on finally we're going to the promised land they're all excited and this pillar comes in front of them and and they're like oh my goodness so they're seeing these incredible signs that only that shows the presence of God for them a pillar of cloud by day it's while you're in the desert maybe it's like not just presence but also comfort maybe provides shade and then at night fire It brings light. So it's like, oh my gosh. So the people of Israel knew who God was. And in a way, they had the right perspective on understanding the almighty powerful. They had no, you know, delusion that there was different gods. They believed in the one true God. But even then, they freaked out. They were afraid. And they lost it. Here on verse um, 9 at the end, it says, sorry, in, in verse 10, that they cry out to the Lord. But immediately when they saw the, the, all of the, the only route that they could go out was filled with thousands of chariots of army men, they lost it and they said, let's find someone to blame. They didn't look up and say, Lord, you will deliver us. You've done it already through the plagues. You are the one guiding us through. They didn't think of all of that. They just said, this is it. We're going to die. And (laughs) let's blame someone. Isn't that the way that we all go when something goes wrong and we don't look up to God? We go, someone needs to be blamed. Sometimes we put the blame on ourselves. Sometimes in others. In this case, it's Moses, that guy. I knew it all along. And they complained and they said something that really struck me and that it really shows the perspective they're having on who God is and and who he is as the one true God. They said in verse 15, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What they cry out to the Lord for 430 years all of a sudden became the good old days. Hmm. all of a sudden the the, the the current situation becomes so heavy and so pressing that what you have gone through and you've suffered all of a sudden you forget and you want to go back because <laughs> it's something you know it's something that you well at least I knew that I had the, the bare minimum and they're missing out on what God is doing it's incredible um, we'll go into perspective of how we react later but Perspective of the Egyptians. Ah, that God is done. You you know, he's not the one true God, just another guy. The Israelites, oh, the, you know, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. But, you know, I'm a little scared too. you know. And now let's look at Moses. In verse um, 13, he says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Here's this one man that understands and has the right perspective on who the one true God is. He said, stand firm, plant your feet, and just behold how God will work for you. The only thing you are, that is required of you is to be silent. He shows trust. He shows assurance. It's it's almost like I could hear him. I could hear like the people yelling and screaming at him. And he's just, he could have gone huge paragraph. Haven't you seen what he has done, the plagues? No. He said, stand firm and trust. And with these three perspectives, what I want us to see is, I want to ask you a question and I want you to think about it, is right now, there's different times in life, but right now, Who do you identify with the most? The Egyptians, the Israelites, or Moses? By the way, the right response to the one true God is what Moses did. But that does not mean that we're going to get it every time. Sometimes, as a Christian, you might feel like an Egyptian. I have power, I have strength. I'm not even going to check with God. Like He's doing his thing. That's fine, but I'm doing mine. Sometimes you might feel like an Israelite. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, no, I I, I prayed and I I follow. I go to church, of course, and and yeah. Then something comes and you lose it all. (gasps) You forget. And there's times in our lives where we feel like a Moses. It's just we plant our feet, we trust in him, and we just see him work. And and what I'm trying to relay here is not to shame you. Oh, you're like an Egyptian right now. Or you're like an Israelite. No. Or you're like Moses or feel proud of that. No, no, no. What I want us to see is exactly what I told you. The one true God, the one that is sovereign over all, the one that holds everything together, he's the one true God. So have the perspective of him and then go to your situation. When you do it backwards, that's the problem. The difference between Moses and the Israelites and the Egyptians were not that one was better than the other. That one had a better disposition, that one was cleaner than the other. Uh-uh. It was in the right perspective on who God is and was for them. So that's where I want you to bring it. To analyze and, and kind of like, yeah, you know, be honest with yourself. Not to feel guilty. That's not the, 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 how God deals with us but to look up to the one true God and have the right perspective on Him. And you will see that it doesn't matter what situation you're in, you will will find yourself trusting, you will find yourself in peace when it doesn't make any sense and having the right perspective, even when everything feels like you don't have any problems. Trust me, that's what we all must do as followers of Christ, having the right perspective Who is the one true God? And let's move. This is my third and last point. And as God is just in verse 15 through 31. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians should know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them the waters being a wall on them on their right hand and on their left, the Egyptians pursued and, and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen and in the morning watch and in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into to a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily and the Egyptians said. Let us flee from Israel, to the, so for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Incredible story. I, it's just, I, it's hard for us to really picture and really understand everything that was happening in that moment for the Israelites and even for the Egyptians. The incredible act of power of God that literally split the sea into two halves, and, and, and you just see the hand of God, His sovereignty as we've been talking about, that He's the one true God, that He has the power to do so. But in here, I want us to see God as, as a just God. His, he, I will say it this way with my own words. God will not be God if He was a just God. The reason I say this in these verses it's because we see God judging, punishing the Egyptians, right? And we see God judging in a, in a favorable way the Israelites. Giving them, a group of people gets punishment, a group of people gets deliverance. The same God, and him by being God is able to do so, and... One thing that I saw, because as as I've been telling you to track along, the attribute of God, and how is the response of the people? How should we respond? When the people of Egypt saw God as a just God, and they were being punished by Him, they had the proper response. They feared Him. In verse 25 says, Let us flee from before Israel, for the lord fights for them against the egyptians they understood at that moment oh no we are against the wrong this is the one true god and we're under his judgment terrible thing and they did receive that punishment one thing i must say about that god as a as a just god he does he's serious about sin he's serious about holiness and he will not let unrighteousness and sin unpunished. It's just a fact of who he is. It's what we read in his word. And then at the same time, it's not the only story that we see. we at the same time. Him as having the right to judge and to deliver, he also does that. To the weak, to the oppressed, he delivers. So God as a just God makes the people understand who he truly is. And the response of the Egyptians is fear. And the response of the Israelites, it's also fear. But a different kind of fear. A fear of being on the right side where God tells you, I will protect you. And if we look into it, if we go down to the level, the Israelites, they were not any better than the Egyptians. At the bottom, here in the heart, we're all on ground level. But I want, what I want us to see is that sometimes I, for myself, will read the Old Testament and be like, "Well, but God was like, kind of like, pretty tough in the Old Testament. But well, he seems kind of cool in the New Testament. He's kind of like, you know, flip-flops and just healing people and loving people. But we're not talking about two different gods here. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament because He's the one true God. He can't change. But what we, what, what I want us to see is that the proper response of a God that is just is to be, to have fear of Him in the proper way. We see the it being in the judgment and in the punishing of God. It's terrible. It's scary. Oh my goodness! He's against us. We better run and. The judgment of God is it's something that is real. But then we see Israel on the other side. Saying the power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord. And in his servant Moses. God as a just God. Punishes sin. But at the same time delivers. The, it's, just, it's something that is offered to all of us. And in a second, I'm going to bring it. Because that's one thing that we need to do when we read the Old Testament. We don't stay in the Old Testament and think like, Oh, well, that, that was back then. This is 3,500 years ago. That's for those people. That's ancient. No. That, that comes and comes through the New Testament. It's all connected. It's all the same. And it doesn't stop there. It comes all the way to us. So, with the understanding of God being just... I want you to think of the proper response of both the Egyptians and the Israelites. You should fear the Lord in a healthy way. How does that look like? It's not being afraid of God. It's being reverent to the Lord because He is the one true God. Because He deserves that. And and the, the proper response on the fear of the Lord means that you treat God like He is God. He's not just our body, you know, he's my body, he's my friend. Yes to that, but at the same time, it's not like we're gonna just treat him like anybody else. He has an, an, a little illustration here, I normally say it this way, I'll say it in two ways. The first one is, if, and I'm not gonna use, I'm gonna talk about a president, I will not talk about the president of the United States because I will not do that, but imagine that the president of the Netherlands, they send you a letter, He's in an exchange program. He wants to come to your house to have dinner. You have to host him. He wants to see how the people react in America to how the traditions and their, and their meals. If that is you, and you open the door to the president of the Netherlands, how will you react? How will you dress? What will you cook? How will you arrange the table? What questions would you ask? Would you receive him in, in your crocs and your shorts? Hey, what's up, man? Come here. Yeah, sit here. What's up? What's going on? How's the country? No, you will, you will dress properly. You will talk properly. You will arrange everything out of respect to the power. So you see where I'm going with this. With God is the same thing. It's like it, we have to be careful. It's not a perfect illustration. It's not like, so then David is the one worshiping God better today. No. This is, no, forget about this. It's not how we, how we dress or, you know, how we interact. We talk to God in, 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 in ground level. He understands us. It's like when you talk to a baby, you, you know, you stoop down to their level. You talk to them. He understands that. But at the same time, we don't use that to just, like, mistreat and not put God in his position. The other one is, you know, when you're driving and you see a cop, how do you, how do you start driving? So the proper response to power is respect, and it's so do the same thing with God. That's my point. And to bring it all together is, I just I the, the this is the God that that we worship. By the way, this is the God that the Bible shows us is a powerful, mighty, all-knowing. He's sovereign. He's the one true God. He's just. And, but this is not back there, like I said. This is not 3,500 years ago for a group of people only, for an old religion. This is Jesus. Jesus is all of these things because he, he is God. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is the one true God Jesus is just so when we see Jesus walking as a man healing and talking that's the God that we're talking about here the one that split the sea the one that holds everything together we've been in Colossians and then we have that beautiful hymn that says, he holds all things together talking about Jesus so Jesus wasn't just a man, a prophet, a teacher, a nice guy with a nice message. No. He is Yahweh. He is Elohim. He is God in the flesh. And as, as, as that, then we get a real good glimpse and a good idea of exactly who God is. His judgment, but His grace. The grace that He extends is because He is a good God. When we we hear the gospel, last week Pastor Dave was talking about the gospel being more than just the good news and just saying, God is good, and He is, but there's more. When we understand the reason why Jesus needed to become a man, why did God have to come in the flesh and took all this punishment and had to literally die on a cross? The reasoning of that is that, like I told you, as a just God, He cannot left sin unpunished. But He said, I know, because if we continue the story of the Israelites, you think that this is a success story, a victory. You go to the promised land, the end and they live happily ever after oh no keep reading they are stiff necked that's what he calls them stubborn and they love God and they go against you know go to the other side he brings them back that happens over and over until he says no more I will bring one that finally will deal with the problem that we have between us and that is sin and that's when Jesus comes that's the, all of the prophecy that we heard from the line of David. That one will come. The Messiah, the Christ, the Chosen One, the Anointed One. That's Jesus. And when He was born, He came with a mission to bring His people back to Him. But because it's just, He needed to pay for that sin. And that sin required death. And that's exactly why Jesus being an, a, a, an innocent man took the punishment unto himself and died on a cross. Finally, dealing with the problem of sin. What the requirement is for us is to repent of that sin and say, Lord, I am sorry that I have this, that this is my natural disposition, and I really don't want to be near you, but at the same time I do. And it's this, but I trust you, Jesus. So repent of your sin and believe in the one that took that punishment for you that 's the gospel, and the beauty of it is that that is a success story. He did raise on the third day, and he does promise us that we will take us to the promised land when he comes back, but in the meantime, this is the beautiful thing you remember the pile the the, the, the the pile the pillar of cloud and fire what do you think happened in the upper room in acts when they The room filled with smoke and they saw tongues like fire in front of them, on each one of them. That's an allusion to that. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was not anymore outside of us, guiding us over there and telling us here, is in us. So when Jesus died and resurrected and we receive Him as our Lord, as our Savior, He puts His Spirit on us. That same Spirit that split the sea, the same Spirit that guided them, the presence of Because the Holy Spirit is God too. I can't talk about the Trinity right now, but it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all one. Three persons, one nature. So that pillar of cloud now exists inside of us. And He's the one that guides us. He's the one that will bring us ultimately into the promised land. And as we wait for that day, if Jesus comes back or if we go to His presence, that's how we do it. And then to be and to finalize and wrap it up, how do we follow this God like the Israelites? They listened and they obey. They could have freaked out, but they were being obedience. How do we follow and listen the word of God? I'm going to give very practical things. You've heard it over and over, but that's the way to do it. The first is His word. That's how we listen to Him. That's where we see who He is. That's where we look and as we read, we don't just read because we have to, but we look and we, we really grow in our understanding of Him and that's how we can actually understand that He's the one true God. So His Word is the best way that you can hear from Him. Prayer is the way that you talk to Him. It's the way that you bring up to Him. Like the Israelites, they, they cry out to Him. Make Him the first Make Him the first that you go to when you are having a problem, when you don't have control over your emotions, when you don't know what to do, pray. So prayer, the Word of God, brothers and sisters, community, that's the, it, it, you can't do it alone, it's impossible. Church, when we come here on Sundays, when we hear the Word of God being proclaimed, preach, listen, apply, don't just hear and then go Take this and run with it every day, like for dear life, because it is death and life. And there's many other things, but I just want to tell you, as a Christian, you have the most wonderful thing in the world. You have clear access to this God. He has done it for us. He's available for us right now, right here. There's no special rituals. We don't have to wait. We don't have to be clean. We don't have to like be a better version. No, he will do that. But you got to trust him. Because like the title of the, of the message says he is the deliverer. There's nothing else. No one else can do what he does. If you have never put that trust and believed in him in this way it's a beautiful thing. It's not just for a group of people. It's for anyone that is willing to repent of their sin. And believe in this God for their salvation. I encourage you, if you've never done that, come talk to me after the service, during the week. Try to reach me out. I'm more than happy to talk about it. Pastor Dave as well. But this is the God, the one true God, just and sovereign. Please pray with me. Thank you, God, that you are the one deliverer, the the one true God. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your that you're in control, that even when we don't know you do, and that we are in your hands. Lord, we thank you that you took the form of man and lived in this world to take this sin from us, Jesus. We trust in you and this is all for you for your glory because you deserve it please father please Holy Spirit change the heart of the people that they will see you for who you are they'll understand what you did on the cross for them Jesus all for your glory and all for your might in your holy name we pray amen